Will you pray with me? God, our Father, give us confidence this morning in the power of your word. Grant us clarity and understanding and proclaiming the truths that we find there. Empower us to hear the gospel story and to announce its good news with our words and through our actions. As we do all this, give us a deeper love for you and for one another. Finally, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength and our redeemer. Amen? Amen. Amen. So before I was an elder here at St. Andrews, in fact, before I was even a father or a husband, I was an English teacher. So as an old English teacher, when I'm called upon to examine any literary passage, whether it's a poem or a short story, a novel, or today's scripture, my professional experience tells me that I have to consider three things. The text, the context, and the subtext. So I know that Julia has done a fantastic job of reading uh, the text this morning, but I want to consider it again because the text, the words on the page, the context, the circumstances surrounding the words on the page, and then the subtext, the underlying or implicit meaning. So let's consider the scripture again. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, so the context of this story is well known. Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's late in the day, and as uh, Kelly just reminded us, he's just performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Understandably amazed and enthralled by this miracle, the people want to make Jesus king. But Jesus refuses and instead goes off to pray by himself, sending his disciples ahead to the other side of the lake in a boat that they had already had with them. So far, so good, right? Right. However, the disciples begin to sail across the lake and an enormous storm blows up. From the way Matthew tells it, the storm begins as the sun is setting and continues all night long. This leaves the disciples in the boat, struggling against the wind and the rain into the wee hours of the morning. After eight or nine exhausting hours, the disciples are stuck in the middle of the lake, dirty, drenched, chilled to the bone, 
weary to the point that they must begin to wonder if they're ever going to make it to shore alive. So i got to be honest, it sounds like every fishing trip that I've ever been on in my life. (laughs) But again, I'm an English teacher. Then, in verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus decides to walk on the water. And think about it. He sent the disciples to the other side of the lake ahead of him. Did you, did you wonder, how is he getting across the lake? So I think he had this in mind all the time. It's not every day that you see someone taking an early morning stroll across the lake in the middle of the storm. So when the disciples see this, they are understandably terrified. Remember, they've been out there all night long. We can understand their fear. I can understand their fear. They've been rowing and rowing and rowing and getting nowhere. It's 4.30 in the morning. They're tired. Every muscle aches. The wind is howling around them. Rain pelts them from every angle. They're cold and tired and waterlogged. They're grumpy, hungry, and frustrated. Maybe now you can sympathize. And suddenly someone cries out, It's a ghost! Which, honestly, not not a bad conclusion considering those circumstances. Except then the ghost says to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Oh, they must have thought with initial relief, followed by some consternation. It's, it's just Jesus walking across the surface of this massive lake in the middle of a once-in-a-generation storm. I feel so much better now. In the midst of this startling revelation and before anyone in the boat can talk any sense into him, Peter quickly answers, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus just as quickly responds, come on. So Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water in the middle of the stormy lake toward Jesus. But just as suddenly as he decides to make the walk, he seems to notice the frightening elements around him. And succumbing to his fear, he cries out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately, the scripture says, reaches out his hand, takes hold of Peter, posing one of scripture's great rhetorical questions. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus and Peter get back into the boat, the wind ceases, and the rest of the disciples still in the boat understandably begin to worship Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. All that in 11 verses, right? So the story of Jesus walking on water uh, appears in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, but only in Matthew's version do we learn that Peter also walked on the water. And Peter is really my favorite figure in the New Testament, obviously, aside from Jesus, but Peter's my favorite figure, uh, and that's why I wanted to look at this particular uh, passage today, because ultimately Peter reminds me of me. So, as I've considered Matthew's account of Peter walking on water, I learned three things, because that's what Pastor Jeff and Pastor Jim said, a good sermon has three points. So that's what you got. All right, so number one, the first point is get out of the boat. Right? We got to get out of the boat. Little faith is better than no faith. Get out of the boat. So it's easy to come down hard on Peter here, maybe a little too easy. Let's all remember that there are 11 other guys back in the boat watching this whole thing happen. In fact, if you look back at the slide, like the slide of the work of art, like, you know, Jesus and 
is, is helping you know, Peter in the water and the other. You count them, there's 11 guys in the boat. The, the artist was pretty faithful. They're just sitting there and their mouths are open. I'm like, wow, that's great. So as long as you stay in the boat, you'll never sink. But we'll never walk on water either. So this isn't the story of Bartholomew or Matthew or James walking on water because they stayed in the boat, right? So first and foremost, this is a story about Peter walking on water. He, he does walk on water because he was the only one with the courage to get out of the boat. Maybe some of the others wanted to. Maybe they would have if Peter had stayed out there longer. But give him credit, he did it and they didn't. That's why this story is about him and not the other 11. In fact, they're not even named in the scripture. So before we criticize Peter for having little faith, which is pretty easy to do, we should remember that little faith is better than no faith. So I don't think Jesus is upset with Peter for attempting too much. I think he's disappointing. He's disappointed in Peter for trusting too little. For trusting too little. Do you see the difference? Jesus isn't saying, Peter, you should have stayed in the boat. He's saying, Peter, if you had just kept your eyes on me, you could have been the original Lord of the water dance. <laughs> Apologies to Michael Flatley, right? When we bring this observation into the spiritual realm, it looks something like this. The life of faith is inherently a life of risk. Go back in the Bible and take a look at the men and women who did great things for the Lord. Almost without exception, they were risk takers who weren't afraid to lay it all on the line for God. In the context of our story about Matthew, they weren't afraid to get out of the boat, right? Noah built an ark. Noah actually built, built a boat. <laughs> How about that? Abraham left Ur to go to the promised land around the age of 70. Moses led the people of God out of Egypt at the tender young age of 80, proving that it, it is never too late to step out in faith, right? Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho. Did you hear that reference to the walls of Jericho in our song earlier? He did that for seven days. Seven days. David defeated nine-foot-tall Goliath with a slingshot when he was about 14, proving that it's never too young to step out in faith. Elijah faced down the prophets of Baal in order to prove that his God was God. Esther risked everything, including her own life, to save her people. Daniel worshipped only God instead of his country's leader and got thrown in the lion's den. And Nehemiah led the Jews to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. When we read the Bible again and again, we discover that the men and women who accomplished great things for God weren't content to stay in the boat. They thought more could be done if only someone would lead the way. And when no one else stepped forward, they themselves volunteered. They got out of the boat. So, if we're unwilling to take a chance, we can never discover what living by faith, even a little faith, is all about. So my first question for us today, for me today, is what boat is Jesus urging me, us, to step out of in faith today? All right. Number two, you got to put one foot in front of the other. This is not really about walking on water. So, take a little risk here. In what maybe for the first time here at St. Andrews, in a moment I'm going to reference the Urban Dictionary in order to define 
the term walking on water. I'm not encouraging anyone to go to the Urban Dictionary. The reason, and, and I know some of you are thinking, well, the only reason he's doing this is Pastor Jeff. We don't even know where he is. Pastor Jim, you know, he's sick, so I'm taking advantage of that. The accountability factor for me is low. Oh, hang on. So the story of Jesus and Peter walking on water is so familiar, so iconic, so important, that it's become a part of popular culture. That's why it's in the Urban Dictionary, which the Library of Congress identifies as this. It's a crowdsourced online dictionary of slang words and phrases founded in 1999 as a parody of dictionary.com and vocabulary.com. By July of 2020, there were 12 million definitions in the Urban Dictionary. And one of those 12 million uh, definitions is walks on water. And this is what it says. Greatest thing ever. That's the definition of walks on water. Greatest thing ever. And if you read read further, it says, based on the fact that Jesus walked on water. Let's pause for a moment and see that this piece of popular culture admits that Jesus walked on water. There is hope for the world. (laughs) Greatest thing ever, based off the fact Jesus walked on water. Here are two examples that the Urban Dictionary gives us. I love him so much, he can walk on water. I know he can walk on water, but be quiet about him. Nobody cares. Those are the two examples that are given. So something becomes a part of popular culture because the public decides to make it popular by consuming it, absorbing it, and then spreading it as widely as possible. And the spread by the public is what allows something like a song or a phrase or Peter and Jesus from the Bible walking on water to become a part of the cultural lexicon. So with this in mind, let me ask you. Has anyone ever told you that you act like you could walk on water? Have you ever said that about someone else? Maybe in the first instance, a friend or an acquaintance or, I don't know, a parent or a teacher was trying to take you down a peg or two, acting a little too big for your britches, maybe. Maybe in the second instance, you were doing the same as someone else. In other words, we've made walking on water the measure by which we identify things or even people who are mammoth, dramatic, impossible. I can't tell you the number of times my own mother looked at me uh, during my arrogant adolescence and said disdainfully, you know, Mark, you should really stop acting like you walk on water. (laughs) Ouch. But what if we're wrong about this? What if popular culture, what if the Urban Dictionary is mistaken. So now if you're a parent, I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes and visualize the first steps each of your children ever took. Visualize that. Think about that. For me, our daughter Camille, uh, who is uh, now almost 20, was the consummate baby perfectionist. She wouldn't crawl until she was an Olympic crawling champion. And she wouldn't walk until she could run. So her first steps were sure and confident and super fast. Blink your eyes, you might miss them. But they were one foot in front of the other over and over again. Because that's the way of walking. Now our son Richard, many of you know Richard was born with Down syndrome, autism, and a seizure disorder. It was a little different story, but not because of those challenges. His first steps were different than Camille's because the house that we lived in at the time, um, 
he was learning to walk, the foundation of the house was so bad that right outside of the room where he spent most of his time, there was a terrible dip in the foundation. So every time Richard tried to take a step out of his room, he fell down because he had horrible parents. So in this amazing moment of great parenting, when we took him out from that treacherous room, he started to walk. And he took off after Camille. Now, it was a little more slowly, but his steps, one foot in front of the other, over and over again. Peter took one step to get out of the boat and onto the water. Then he took another step and another and another. He was doing just fine when he decided simply putting one foot in front of the other was all he needed to do. He's doing great. He walked on water. Just like he'd done from his own time as a toddler. He got into trouble when he lost sight of that next step. So in preparing for the sermon today, I came across a a contemporary Christian song. Those of you who know me well know that um, that's not necessarily where I I go for things. I'm I'm more of a a hymn kind of guy, right? But this song is called Walk on Water. And here are the lyrics. I'm sorry, this is the the group is called Elevation Rhythm. And the lyrics are, are these. It says, say the word and I'm walking on water. I'd rather slip walking on water than spend spend my life wondering what if. I'd rather slip walking on water than spend my life wondering what if. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come because you alone contain the wildest wind. I know I can make it because it was your voice that I heard, so I'm stepping out. I'm stepping out on your word. This is how you walk, how you walk on water, one foot in front of the other. This is how you walk on water, one foot in front of the other. So genuine faith is a response that shows itself in what we do, in what we do. I think part of Peter's problem in today's scripture, part of culture's problem with this story, and probably part of my own challenge with Jesus is that we're all making the mistake of thinking that when Jesus asks us to come to him, whether it's in the midst of a raging storm or in the midst of the calm silence of our own personal prayers, he's asking us to do something massive, something dramatic, something impossible, like walking on water. When in reality, all he's really asking us to do is meet him where he is by putting one foot in front of the other, like we've been doing since we were very, very young. So my second question for us today is, where is Jesus inviting me, inviting us to put one foot in front of the other to meet him today? All right, third point. And uh, Kel did a great job with with the kiddos. We've got to concentrate on Jesus. And the, the important word here is concentrate. And this is the phrase that helps me with this. Why not me? So getting out of the boat and taking those first steps both require enormous courage on Peter's part. We all agree with that. But almost instantly, he feels the wind and is afraid. But the wind has been there all along. The storm has been raging for hours. In fact, doesn't Jesus come to the disciples in the midst of the storm? Doesn't Jesus come to Peter in the midst of the storm? Doesn't Jesus come to us in the midst of our storms as well? So, mentioned Richard before. When Richard was born, uh, Laurel and I were not aware that he had Down syndrome. For eight 
wonderful, amazing, blissful hours we sat with and loved our perfect, precious baby boy. If I'm being honest, those hours with a newborn, do you remember those? If you have children, if God has blessed you with children, those first hours with a newborn are some of the most wonderful hours of a parent's life. Not a storm in sight, cool breeze, smooth sailing in all directions. Then our pediatrician came in and said, I have some concerns. And the storm clouds gathered. Like Peter on the lake, it was impossible for me to keep my eyes on Jesus in the middle of that overwhelming storm. I couldn't remember or even acknowledge that Jesus was in control of the storm or was in fact revealing himself to me in the midst of the storm. Like Peter, I could only look down at my feet and see nothing but water engulfing them. Peter's mind comes to a quick conclusion, I imagine. He must be thinking to himself, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not supposed to be walking on water. This is too massive, too dramatic, too impossible. He loses his concentration on Jesus and begins to sink. For me with Richard, very similar. This can't be happening, I remember thinking. I didn't sign up for this. Why me? In the midst of this most personal storm for me, my phone rang. It was a colleague and a friend calling to check on us, knowing that Laurel's due date was close, but not knowing about Richard's arrival or our new reality. He listened to me as I angrily lashed out, sinking deeper and deeper into the stormy despair of my own lost expectations and selfish disappointments. When I paused to take a breath, he issued this quiet challenge. Mark. You need to stop asking, why me? And start asking, why not me? Peter on the lake, in the midst of the storm, so suddenly filled with fear and desperation, must have concluded, this is impossible. I can't do it. Why me? Jesus on the lake, in the midst of the storm, reaches out to him, reaches out to us, and says, Concentrate on me. This isn't impossible. You can do all things because I give you strength. Why not you? Why not you? So our third challenge. How is Jesus challenging us to concentrate more on him today? God loves me. It still humbles me. That this force that makes leaves and flees and stars and rivers and you loves me. It's amazing. I can do anything and do it well. Any good thing, I can do it. That's why I am who I am. Yes, because God loves me. And I'm amazed at it. And I'm grateful for it. So today's gospel reminds us of two simple and glorious truths, right? Jesus is always with us, and as in the quote from Maya Angelou, he loves us individually, personally, and intimately. And when life storms hit, and they will, it's good to remember this story, isn't it? It's good to remember that when we find ourselves fearfully stepping out in faith, all Jesus asks is that we put one foot in front of the other, and concentrate on him. Because 
Jesus isn't asking us to walk on water. He's only asking us to walk to him. Let's pray. Lord, you remind us that as long as we concentrate on you, we can withstand any tempest. Strengthen our faith, Lord. Embolden us to step out with courage and trust in your guiding hand, even when the circumstances around us seem daunting. We pray for those among us who are facing storms even now, God. Grant them the strength to persevere and the assurance that you're always with them. May this St. Andrew's community be the source of encouragement and support for each and every one of us, reflecting your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, we humbly pray. Amen? Amen.